So our, this, the text for this afternoon's sermon is Philippians 4, the verses 4 to 7, and in connection with that, we'll also read together from Habakkuk chapter 3. As we sang, Habakkuk rejoices in the Lord despite the present, or despite the circumstances that he knows will come upon the people of God and upon himself. In the book of Habakkuk, he has cried out now three times, seeking God's justice, and through his prayers he found also peace with God's providence and is reassured that God will indeed restore justice on the earth. So let's read together from Habakkuk 3, starting at verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your, your people, for the salvation for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying him bare from foundation to neck. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord my God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments." And then turning ahead to the New Testament, We'll read once again from Paul's letter to the Philippians, this time looking at Philippians chapter 4, where Paul begins to bring his letter to a close. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Iodia, and I employ, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpassing, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be, how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thus far, the reading from God's word. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, most of us have had to say goodbye to a loved one at some point. Whether it was a child moving away from school, a family moving due to work or housing, or a friend finding work in a different province. And saying goodbye in those circumstances is difficult enough, but it's even more challenging if we don't know if we'll see that loved one again. And in those instances, often tears are shed and farewells are exchanged, hugs are given. And in the passage before us today, Paul begins to give his own farewell address. He begins to say goodbye to his brothers and sisters in Philippi, the ones that he loves so much that this is often called Paul's love letter. He's spoken frequently about the love that he has for them. It's a love that runs so deep that he has even called them his joy and his crown. And Paul doesn't want the Philippians to be grieved at the thought of never seeing him again. And so now when he begins to bring his letter to a close, he doesn't say goodbye, but rejoice. And with this in mind, I proclaim to you the word of God under the following theme and points. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord. Therefore, trust in the Lord. Therefore, you will be kept by the Lord. Now, just as we all know what it is like to say goodbye to a loved one, I suspect that we all know what it is like to rejoice with a loved one as well whether it was because your sport team won the local tournament or a sibling became married or you held a grandchild in, in your arms. We've all had times of deep and heartfelt joy that we just couldn't hold back. We couldn't help but rejoice and celebrate with our friends and with our family. 
on the other hand, most of us have all mourned as well. Most of us have lost a loved one at some point in our lives, whether it was a child or a sibling, whether a friend or a parent. And we've experienced in, in, in those, those deaths of the sad reality of having a loved one wrenched away from us. We've experienced the tragic result of mankind's fall into sin. And when Paul, when he wrote this letter, he was under house arrest. His right arm was likely holding a pen or a quill, and at the same time, a chain ran from his arm to a Roman soldier standing beside him. Paul had lost his freedom. He had lost his rights as a Roman citizen. And he was awaiting a trial where it would be decided whether he would live or die. And while Paul was ultimately set free, he didn't know that that would be the case when he wrote. Paul knew what it was like to share in the suffering of Christ. And his faith enabled him to say in chapter 2 that even if he would be poured out as a sacrifice of their faith, he would be glad and rejoice with the saints. And the Philippian church, the ones who originally received this letter, they were also in difficult circumstances. Chapter 3 shows us that false teachers posed a very real threat to this congregation. There was a group called the Judaizers that had been at work in other Christian churches and Paul warned the Philippians to keep an eye out for these men. To keep an eye out for those who would try to enforce the Old Testament ceremonial laws. Men who would try to rob them of the freedom that they had received in Christ Jesus. And there was also the ongoing problem of unity in the church. And this comes to the four in the beginning of chapter, chapter 4 where Paul pleads with Eodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind with the Lord. It's clear that they had some sort of disagreement. And we don't know what the nature of their disagreement was, but the fact that Paul is appealing to these women publicly and by name shows that they were having a, a dispute that threatened the fabric of the church. And then on top of these two issues and challenges, the Philippians were also facing persecution. Philippi was a Roman colony, and not participating in pagan worship and failing to worship the emperor had grave consequences for this church. It led to them being ostracized from former friends and family. It led to them being cut off from society. And economically, we know that this was one of the poorest congregations in the empire. And no one knew whether this persecution would ease up or whether it would become more intense. They didn't know if, like Paul, they would be arrested for their faith if they would be killed for confessing that Christ was Lord and not Caesar. In the face of all of this, Paul begins the end of his letter. He begins to write goodbye to his friends. 
The believers he loves so much that he has called them his joy and his crown. And yet Paul doesn't say goodbye to the Philippians. He doesn't even say keep your head up. Things will get better. No, he leaves them with a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case anyone would doubt the seriousness of this command, he repeats it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And the Philippians, as they heard this letter read, and perhaps you as well may have wondered, how can we possibly rejoice with everything that we're dealing with? And yet Paul commands them to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. In the face of persecution, rejoice. In the face of disunity, rejoice. In the face of poverty, rejoice. In the face of an uncertain future, rejoice in the Lord. And we are also called to rejoice in the Lord always. We all know that this is no easy task. How can we rejoice when we've lost loved ones? When we've lost our job or are facing surgery? How can we rejoice in the middle of a pandemic when it seems like we've been robbed of so much of the communion of saints? When the world tells us that our faith is not essential and ridicules and even despises our Lord? Well, this is only possible, brothers and sisters, first of all, because the Lord because this rejoicing is in the Lord, and secondly, because the Lord is at hand. And so this first phrase, in rejoicing in the Lord, if we were to base our, our joy on our own emotions or our own circumstances, we would often be driven to despair. And if these things were, if our circumstances were the source of our joy, then Christians should indeed despair when they can't meet together, when they can't physically worship God in the same building, or when we can't comfort one another face-to-face during different trials. But our Christian joy is not rooted in changing emotions or circumstances. Our joy is not something that we can feel one moment and lose the next, because our joy is rooted in the Lord. It's rooted in the one who never changes. It's given to us by Him. It's the joy of faith which rests in the knowledge that God is sovereign, that He is in control. It's the faith that says that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us Not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. This is the faith that Habakkuk had, that he expressed in his song. When he saw the injustice going on in Israel, he cried out to God in prayer. And he asked God to intervene, and the Lord responded by showing how he planned to address the sin, the suffering, and the injustice that was going on in the nation. He showed Habakkuk that he is sovereign over all things and that he can 
and will even use wicked nations to fulfill his purpose. And when Habakkuk understood this, his prayers, they changed from laments to songs of joy. It was his faith in the unchanging Lord that brought him from despair to rejoicing. So that even if there were no fig trees or vines, no crops or herds, he would be able to rejoice. He would be able to rejoice if disaster struck him and he had to live in poverty. And this is only possible because when we live by faith, even disasters that might come upon us cannot overshadow the coming of our salvation which God himself has promised us. And you too have the blessing of being able to rejoice in the Lord along with Habakkuk because nothing that happens in your life can take away the promise of the gospel. Nothing that happens to you or to your loved ones can take away what Christ has done for those who have placed their trust in him. And so even though you may have to suffer for your faith, even though the world may ridicule you and ridicule your king, even if the pandemic forces you to say goodbye to friends and family, there is an imperishable joy that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Christ has died to make us children of God. And if you place your faith in Christ and confess that he is Lord, then you have been given a gift that is far greater than any gift that is experienced in life on this earth. The faith that you have been given, that has been worked in your heart by the Spirit, unites you with Christ, giving you a heavenly citizenship that nothing, no government can take from your hands. It's faith in the Lord, brothers and sisters, that allows our questions, our doubts, and our anxieties to be exchanged for a confident joy as we live in the certainty of the Lord's faithfulness, that he is faithful to all of his children, and that God will not only correct the injustices that take place on this earth, but he will also take away the effects of sin. He will bring an end to all the sickness, the pain, the crying, the death that we may experience in this life. And so we can go forward in joy knowing that the Lord is coming, that the Lord is faithful. And this joy which is rooted in the Lord, it produces a high level of of gentleness that Paul mentions here. It makes us tolerant of others. It makes us willing to suffer and even give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. The Spirit causes us, the Spirit calls us to be reasonable with everyone, with our spouse, with our children, with our siblings, with believers and unbelievers, with friends and family. And so whether we are arguing with fellow believers like Iodia and Syntyche appeared to be doing, or if we're suffering for our faith like the Philippian church was, our shared joy causes us to be patient with one another. It causes us to be patient rather than argumentative. It causes us to tolerate whatever persecution and suffering and ridicule we may face for our faith 
for the sake of the gospel. Now, why can we have such contentment and joy even when we're being mistreated? Well, that gets at the second key phrase here. The truth that the Lord is at hand. There's much discussion over what that phrase, the Lord is at hand, means. There's basically three options Paul could be referring to the return of Christ, that Christ's return is at hand, it's imminent, or that Christ is even now among the the believers. He's near to them, he's at hand in that sense. Then the third option is that Paul intends both meanings. And as one commentator points out, the best way to understand this phrase seems to be that Paul does indeed intend both meanings. He's being intentionally vague. Their present suffering is coming at the hands of those who proclaim that Caesar is Lord. And so they are reminded that the true Lord is at hand. The victory of Christ is close at hand. And that is certainly cause for rejoicing. And at the same time, Paul is encouraging them to prayer in the midst of their present distress because the Lord is at hand. He is near to them. He is with them in their suffering. In a very real way, he is at hand to those who call on him even now. And so Paul stresses that Christ is already with the believers. And he's nearer to us now. He hears us when we call upon him in prayer and he dwells within us through his spirit. And indeed, he will also return again as judge. And in his word, Christ has promised us that while we may suffer and weep now, one day we will laugh and be comforted. One day he will wipe away all of our tears. And so brothers and sisters, Rejoice always because the Lord is indeed near to you and he does love you. And this this Lord, this Lord is also a Lord who is worthy of trust. He knows the challenges that you are facing today and he has also taught us how to deal with those challenges. Now, brothers and sisters, one thing that most people don't want to hear when they're anxious is someone telling them not to be anxious. And yet that is exactly what Paul instructs us here. He teaches us not to be anxious about anything. And when Paul speaks of anxiety, he's not talking about anxiety that's brought about by various medical disorders Rather, he's addressing anxiety and worry that is driven by the circumstances of our daily life. It's a similar anxiety that Jesus spoke about. Worrying about what we will eat or what we will wear. And Jesus called his disciples and us to live without anxiety because our Heavenly Father knows and cares for us. And here Paul gives the additional reason because the Lord is near. 
He doesn't simply know. He doesn't simply care, but he is with us in our struggles. He is with us in our circumstances. And so in this sense, because Christ is with us even now, we can acknowledge that the anxiety of of the world is not the anxiety of the believer. We don't have to let anxiety rule in our hearts. Instead, we can cast our anxieties upon the Lord. Anxiety and fear mark the life of the unbelieving, unbelieving, the ones who refuse to trust in the Lord, the ones who are focused solely on the present, as if the present is all that there is, and who view the present as so uncertain. And Paul is telling us that when we're anxious, we don't have to look inward. We don't have to act as if we, the the present, is all that there is. We don't have to rely on our own strength and ask, how am I going to cope with this? We can instead trust that the Lord is, is near to us and He knows what He is doing. We have the privilege of calling to our God in prayer. Calling to our Heavenly Father, who is a good Father, who knows all of our needs and who has promised to provide for us. And so Paul teaches us that there is a better way to deal with our anxiety than relying on our own strength. We don't have to look inward to ourselves. He reminds us that we don't have to have everything figured out right now in order to trust Him right now. And Paul tells us then that, Paul, Paul tells us to pray that God would take away our anxieties. Paul is saying, because the Lord is ever present, do not be anxious, but pray. And this is what Habakkuk learned to do. His constant prayers led him to find peace with God's plan. And he was even able to rejoice in God's plan. In Habakkuk's prayers, we see an acknowledgement of our own utter dependence upon God. It's by praying that Habakkuk and us as well express our complete trust in Him and Him alone. In prayer, we recognize that He can change our circumstances. And so these prayers are to be offered up with thanksgiving. We pray with thankfulness and gratitude, recognizing that our God, our Heavenly Father, is a generous, a compassionate, a loving God. And as a result, prayer is an important part of calming our anxieties. It doesn't mean that if you're anxious, you must surely not be praying enough. There are certainly circumstances which will leave us with anxiety no matter how much we've pled with God to take that away. And yet in prayer, we can find calm because our Father can cope with what we are facing. And moreover, we have a Savior who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Christ himself experienced anxiety and he has gone through the sufferings of this life. Think of how Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he poured forth sweat like drops of blood. If anyone 
experienced anxiety, it was him. And yet his reaction to this anxiety was to pray to his father. He called out earnestly to God, even though he knew he would be forsaken. Even though he knew that he would have to suffer. And he did so willingly, he suffered for us. And he went through this so that we don't have to be about anxious, we don't have to be anxious about anything that the future may bring us. And so now that Christ has done this for us, now that he has secured our future, how much more shouldn't we be quick to pray when we are anxious? Knowing that because of Christ, we will surely not be forsaken. That our prayers will not be rejected. And so as believers in Jesus Christ who have bowed the knee before him, we can trust that he is more than capable of dealing with our present circumstances. He is more than capable of dealing with our anxiety, with the cares that burden us. He is at hand. He knows what we are facing and he will supply us with what we need to overcome those challenges, to keep us safe with him. And so this brings us to the final point for this afternoon's sermon. The Lord is at hand, therefore you will be kept by the Lord. As we bring our situation before the Lord in prayer, we can expect that God will indeed give us his peace. We trust that even if we don't have everything figured out, even if we can't know why God allows certain things to happen to us or to our loved ones, He has a plan. And this truth allows God's children to be filled with the peace and comfort of Lord's Day 1, where we confess that we belong to our Savior in both life and death, that nothing can separate us from His love now that we've been set free from the power of the devil. And so instead of being enemies of God, we're preserved. We're kept safe in such a way that without God's will, not even a single hair can fall from our heads. We are given and kept by the peace of God, by the God who doesn't change. And we are kept by this peace so that even in the midst of despair, we could have hope. If we're on the verge of poverty, we can see the riches that we have in Christ. And in the face of death, we can see the fullness of life that has been given to him, given to us by his death. And yet this peace of God is more than just an inner calm. There's also a communal and a restorative aspect. In the Old Testament, it was called shalom. It's the peace of God which causes broken relationships to be healed, which eliminates unrest and resolves any tension that may exist between Christian brothers and sisters. And Paul teaches us that this peace surpasses our understanding. It's a peace that can't be explained by anything other than the fact that God is at work. 
It's experience when it would be otherwise unexpected in circumstances like what Paul faced, not knowing if he would live or die. And like what the Philippians faced, not knowing if the arguments within the church would tear them apart, not knowing if false teachers would creep in among them, or if persecution would cause their own deaths. So this peace is not an earthly peace that changes as our circumstances change. It's a peace that is given to us by the Lord, and it preserves us even when we live in times of uncertainty. It preserves us from the anxiety that Paul has mentioned previously. And the Lord who is near to us, who is at, who is at work and who is guarding our hearts and minds, He protects our hearts from falling into anxiety and He guards our thoughts so that we are not led to fear and distress and despair, but instead we are led to trust God and to call upon His name in prayer. And the relationship which we have with Christ and in whom we trust it's, is key to our being kept in the Lord. In John 6 verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so it's the fact that we belong to him that he holds us in his hands and nothing can separate us from him which fills our minds and our hearts with the peace of God. And so in a world which so often seems to be governed by fear rather than joy, our privilege as Christians is to let our lives be shaped by the peace of the gospel, to let our lives be shaped by the hope we have of a truly, infinitely better tomorrow. And we are able to do this because the Spirit of Christ dwells within us and He is more than capable of turning our present circumstances, our our sufferings into joy and peace. He's more than capable of bringing us into that eternal dwelling with Christ when there will be no more suffering as the Philippians suffered, when there will be no more suffering as we have to suffer today. Instead, our suffering is changed into joy and peace carried before God in prayer and thanksgiving. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, Christ himself is our peace. The suffering which Christ endured in our place, the humiliation which he underwent, it all served to make us who were once enemies at peace with him. It served to restore that broken relationship between God and sinful human beings. And even now, He is the one who unites believers all over the globe together in a common faith, making them one body and one flock. And so, brothers and sisters, if you had to say goodbye to a friend or a loved one, if you had to greet someone who is suffering, would you be able to echo the words of Paul? Like Paul, would you be able to call them to rejoice in the Lord, to trust in Him in the midst of their suffering, 
and reassure them that they are indeed kept safe in the Lord's peace. Well, brothers and sisters, we have the amazing privilege of being able to speak to our Christian friends and family members in this way, of encouraging them in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we can also call those unbelievers around us who are torn apart by the anxieties of this life, especially today in the world that we currently live, we can call them to find the true peace, the true comfort, the true freedom from anxiety and fear, the the true peace that is found only in Christ Jesus, with the promise that he is near to all of those who call upon him in faith. And that he has promised to make all that is broken in this world whole once more. We can indeed, like Paul, say goodbye to believing loved ones with joy. Because we know that our Lord is with them. Amen.